0: We're on. Should I press DM? We're on. Okay.
1: Okay, everybody. Let's uh, let's start at the beginning of the story. We'll read it quickly, and uh, most of the time will be taken to understand. First of all, what is going on? What are the issues in the broader context? Um, I was able to overhear that some of you caught sort of a startling association that you might find between this medrash and other things, but we'll get to that. Um, (laughs) Even though it really jumps off the page. So let's start at the top. Any volunteers who haven't read before, who would like to break their teeth on the Aramaic? At least at the very end, the Aramaic will be very important, not just the translation. But I'll do it if you don't want to, but I'd rather not. Okay, Chava. Even though you've read before.
2: Uh, I've never ever read that. Okay. Um,
1: okay, so hold on. So, So as I, I already explained the thing before, and you actually, I gave you three lines just to get the, you know, what Rabbi Yudan Bashim Rabbi Aivu said. This is sort of like Kid Tanya. Um, in, in uh, Gemara language. So Rabbi Aivu on the first line says Menachem Shemo, that Mashiach's name is Menachem he quotes the Pesach that this Medrash is interpreting Ki Menachem Meishiv Nafshi um, and that is the fo- the following story is support. So what is this, how does the story begin in English now? Chad Barnash um, There's a
2: person who is plowing and mm-hmm. is cows Yeah,
1: I think it's an otomatopoeia, ga'a. I'm not sure. Um, But made that sort of sound. Groans or... Yeah. But it's some sort of... It sounds like he's groaning under his... his, What's it called? Under his burden. You don't agree? You think he's just mooing? Okay. I, I mean, this is not so important. I assume he's using it to plow. And in the case, in the course of plowing, he makes this sound. Okay.
2: Um, it's
1: probably, it should be a probably, but anyway. I so
2: have. one. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so what's the question? It's a very interesting question. What are you? Right. What are you? It's very interesting, sort of, in the context of this, you know, the man is already his ethnicity is marked as Arab. So we know that he's Arab and he asks the person that we know to be a Jew, what are you? Right, define your ethnicity or your religion. So he says he's a Jew, okay.
2: Untie your um your cow and untie your yoke i um, He said, "Why?" And he said, "Because the enemy accepted Jesus to strike." I'm "How do you know this?" eat me He the Torah. said, "I know it from the sound that the animals makes." At while they were talking, while with him, the animal made the sound again. i will you. If you leave to him, So
1: or already at that point, so to speak, the purpose of this story being quoted here. It has been justified, because we're, uh, you know, from a certain perspective, it's simply cited here to um, support the view of Rabbi Aivu, that Mashiach's name is Menachem, but obviously the midrash wants to do much more than simply cite a story to help him out, okay? Um, the, the oh, I, yeah, I, I interrupted father. you, and his father's name is Chizkiah, okay?
2: Okay. Uh,
1: Okay, so we have a linkage here between what we did in the first, and it's sort of a trick question. Well, let's see if anyone got it. Not building, actually, <laughs> in this case. That's what's tricky about it. I think what it means is, um, sort of based on the little geography I know of that time, Ert was in a province, of Ertisrael was obviously under Roman rule, and was in a, was in a province called Arab, Arabia. Even though we you know, nowadays geographically Arabia, Arabia refers to Saudi Arabia, that province sort of extended all the way into um, even parts of Jordan. So Birat Arava, I think would actually here mean the capital of uh, of Arabia, the province of Arabia, which is
2: Well the thing on the bottom it doesn't imply the same. Something that's in city.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think that's right. <laughs> Um, at the ver- it might mean fortress, but I'm pretty sure it's referring to the capital of this. I know Arab definitely means the province of Arab, and this is significant here. But the Beit Lechem Yehuda, right? Okay, so that's Beit Lechem, which is in again we sort of have another regional thing going on here. The region known as Yehuda, which is in the south um, from Jerusalem on south in Ert Israel.
2: Uh, is so the guys sold, sold his cows and sold his yoke, and he started um, selling baby
1: Mm-hmm. Specifically, like swaddling cloth. That's what these Lavidina
2: are. Uh, and
1: so at this point, by the way, we only at this point I think do we realize that he's far from to Israel. At the beginning of the story, could have could have. T- I know the guy at the bottom tells uh, you this. Uh, <laughs> hmm? There were, I mean, people of who were from Arabia living in Arab Israel, passing through at that point. We well, don't know where it took place. Only at this point do we realize that he has to go on a journey. It could have happened, you know, 20 miles away from the Beit HaMikdash, from the Makoma Mikdash. Only now do we know that he's at some distance, and in order to, you know, get to um, Menachem, he has to travel from country to country, you know, town to town. Okay, just sort of something to keep in mind.
2: he is the Okay. But all the women mm-hmm. in all the villages were buying from him except for this um, baby's mother uh, who wasn't buying from him why aren't you buying he said to her why aren't you buying so I pr-
1: sort of predict in terms of right nachash um, or nachesh, I predict right, kashai Lianoke. right, difficulties for this child or liyanoke, really, really, it should be Lianoke means for the babies so Ki for my child I predict, you know, troubles and she
2: says when he was born, there was
1: Right. So, in other words, right, typically a mother wouldn't simply predict bad things would happen. to the child, she has a sign of the that you know this this is a child which will have difficulties or maybe create difficulties. Um, but um, and because of that, and because of the fact that he was born in the day the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed. Okay. <laughs> The Aragwai Hari, the Aragwai Khitfinai. So what it right, Rakitzin, you should recognize that verb from Bur from um Brok Shime. Mm-hmm. La al enish Rachitna. We trust in this case not on Enish, but on um, you know, Creator of the world. That's his response, right? Amr La Rachitzin and Abamare Alma, that what?
2: It was, it was destroyed when um, the and
1: was born. So this is actually an interesting phrase. How, how do we translate this here? It's okay, critical. Yeah. So in other words, the first part, well, let's hear you shouting out here what do you think this means. So Al-Ragloi Charev means what? That we already know Right. Et va'al ragloi mit bane. What does that mean? Let's see, it sort of sounds like
0: it'll be created,
1: it'll be rebuilt, I should say, on his birthday.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Is that what it is? Is No,
0: but it's really, it sounds like the opposite also. You can also say that it was sort of destroyed
1: on his birthday and would be rebuilt on the opposite. Right. In other words. Okay. In other words, the word birthday never appears here. That's actually a famous. Um, Rashi describing um, describing Paro's birthday so the, the, the Muserniks like, have long pointed out that Rashi says that, that this was Yom Genusia of Paro used to the Greek world and the classic is that there's no such thing as a birthday celebration in Judaism which isn't really true but there is no word here for birthday it doesn't say Yom right? Ragloi means sort of the occasion right? it's the regal So the occasion, that word allows for really an important level of ambiguity here. On his occasion, it was destroyed. In this case, on his birthday, the day he was born, it was destroyed. But al ragloi on his occasion, it'll be rebuilt, allows for, again, ambiguity. Which occasion? The occasion of his death, perhaps, or the occasion, the date of his birthday, but later, in other words, not the very day of his birth you know, June tenth, nineteen forty three, but on the birthday, June tenth, in a different year. Does anyone else have another interpretation as to what this means? Yes.
0: Well I mean I guess the bottom tells you that it's by his like by his effort that he will he will and even like an English occasion can also have correct. His, so That's another
1: yeah. possibility that though then you have to sort of play around. The beginning right. Hopefully, at least, or maybe maybe this is a possibility. I mean, let's work this out. Was the base of in part destroyed because of his birth? A little far-fetched. So you have to divide the phrase that it was destroyed on his birth and will be rebuilt because of his efforts. Yes? I don't know if to like, um, things, like to open up the like, it could
0: come, come his like, you know, something is revealed, it would go- Oh,
1: le galot. Well, it's a different word, but conceptually, I think that's what might be going on, that somehow from the fact that he's revealed, the Beit Mikdash will then, you know, later be rebuilt. I think that's an important, you know, there, there's really a lot of ambiguity in that line, and we'll come back to it. Let's just finish the reading, because um, I think that's probably the first place where you, where we might have disagreement as to how to interpret the story. As much as it's in Aramaic, I think it's relatively straightforward, Um at least the important elements, translation wise, in that until that line. Okay.
2: and He said to her, Take from in a few days I'll come to your house and take
1: the money Right. Some of the other, you know addition to the Medrash that I looked up add a line based on the Yishalma. This story also appears in Grapples. That's that sort of explicates what's going on here. She's very poor. She doesn't have money. So, you know, uh, uh, on, a, on account of that, I will return and get the money.
2: Uh, the years later that St. Pritman said let me go see what this child is doing. After with Abba he went to her. Amar how are you going to me what's your child doing? Amar lah lo amari lah lo amari the khashe a few al I'll write away
1: nachashe demin comma so what does that mean?
2: Um, she said didn't I tell you that I see bad things
1: That even on his, you know, birth, Nahashay was able to guess that.
2: Okay,
1: and this is the one phrase that you really need the Aramaic for. As we'll soon see.
2: From that time, the wind came and looked at him.
1: Well, actually, Valolin is another word for storms. It's like the wind and the storms came. Right, and Tanune is lifted him. And went. Right. Now, actually, you said we don't know what time that is. I mean, I don't know if that's so ambiguous. What do you think that means? Yeah, I think Diminahishaita, in other words, from, you know, the moment of our encounter, you left, and then the wind started up, the storms started up, and...
2: Lift him, it lifted him, and he, he left. Amar Lah, Lokaf Amarit the story of Didn't I, he
0: said
2: to her, didn't I tell you that on his occasion it was a on his occasion it be Amar
1: Okay, so what's uh, Rebbe Avud's response to this whole thing?
2: Why do we need to learn this, whether this is from an Arab? Don't we know well, that? Well, it doesn't even
1: say this. Why do we need to learn in general from Arabs? Lama li We'll talk about what this means in a second. This is actually pretty significant. But you're right, this as well. In other words, this, again, let's remember why this is placed here, is to teach us that Menachem is the name of the Mashiach, what practical use that is. I don't know. It remains ambiguous. And <clears throat> we don't need... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just messed up. I What I said initially was that this piece, this story was brought here the Medrash to tell us, to support the fact that Menachem is the name of the Mashiach. There are other uses that this Medrash is being put to, namely the concept that Mashiach um, is sort of born immediately upon the destruction, and there's an association between the rebuilding and the destruction, and that idea is cited from um from Yisha And what's the what's sort of the proof? It's sort of obvious.
2: That one passuk it says that Hello Bat the full, that on will fall, to And the next Pasuk is Vietapucharmi gets to Yisha. And um that there will
1: be a, know, says, a stick, but also like a leader. Mm-hmm. As well. And in other words that's right, it's the point is that it's the next Pasuk. Even though there's uh there is a division in Tanakh, uh, you know, a little short, it's patuach, but we're obviously understanding the concept of smuchim, that the juxtaposition here shows that it's immediate. It happens right away. So you sort of do have something funny just in this regard. I don't think we're going to take this anywhere unless you want to. The medrash was brought here, you know, by the Balha HaMedrash, if we can call him such, in order to prove that the name is, or to support the idea that the name of Mashiach is Menachem. And Rabbi Avun's objection sort of to this story is we don't need to learn from the Arab that, um, you know, this sort of this important theological concept that the rebuilding happens immediately after, or even the person that's born, happens immediately after the destruction. Yeah, but that's not why it was cited here. It was cited to support the that that the name of the Mashiach is is Menachem, which also, of course, is learned from the Pasuk Eicha, but... It sounded like we wanted additional support for that idea. Yes.
0: But when
2: did Rabbi make this comment relative to when the person whoever put together the midrash brought?
1: Obviously, the previously. Right.
2: So
1: it's correct. In other words, you have the whole thing correct. You have a disjunction only for us as readers. Exactly. Right. The Bala Medrash obviously is happening. He's the one who puts Rabbi Avun here, and he's the one who puts the story here. But correct, Rabbi Avon simply is attached to this midrashic story in and of itself, while the whole unit is used for a broader cause, which is not a broader cause, for a different cause, which is to prove the name of Menachem, that's not so important for us. right? What is important for us? Let's hear some reactions to this story. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. Um, let's begin with some gaps. I think there are serious gaps in just understanding... The narrative here um, and here I'll just refer, we don't have to translate it again because we just did that, but I'll just ask you how you interpreted some of these gaps right? so we have this story with um, a person plowing, the Arab interprets the uh, interprets the sign of him mooing or groaning um, and determines that that means the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed, so just something that we didn't explain yet, why is he telling him to undo the undo the, um, the plow and undo the ox I mean I think it's obvious, yes. He be Correct. Everything he should be mourning, but I think there's something else even more deep than that, that everything should sort of stop. Right? Your holy place is destroyed, not simply that one is not allowed to work while well, they're mourning, but you know, you should just stop what you're doing. Um, something very significant has happened. Yes. Yeah, I, I was thinking like,
0: specifically with the uh, parents, um, because like, there is no future in unless you have the You have, meaning, like Interesting.
1: That's an interesting idea. Yes, do you have your hand up?
0: They are saying that like, it's a time to focus on the communal tragedy. Okay. Correct. They stop your individual mind.
1: Okay, that's good also. In other words, what you're doing is very indi- individual-based. Stop doing something very individual. Okay, so he stops doing it, but thank God it moves again. And this means, according to the Arab who interprets these signs, that the Beit HaMikdash is going to be... Redeemed by someone who was just um, just born, right? Um, or the Jewish people are going to be redeemed. That's really, you know, the way he phrases it. No gap there. But then he says, What's his name? Right. So what's going on here? Yes.
0: Well, just that, I don't
1: really understand why, why would the cows be Okay, good. Like, Very good question. Anyone know the answer to that? Anyone know this is? I don't know if you would have encountered this, but um, even not even looking at Medrash, which you might be less familiar with, right, in the Bavli, Arabs actually appear with some frequency. Does anyone know know what they're called to the Bavli? Taye right? There's actually there was a specific tribe of, of Arabs referred to as Tayas. What? Ted Yud Yud Aleph. That's the um, or Taya if it's a single one. So there's a group of Arabs called the Taye, but it really refers to all different Arabs. And they um, have sort of a similar function here. So I'll give you an example. There's some very famous stories in in, um, Baba Batra, the fourth parak, I believe, or the fifth parak, The Rabbah Baruchana stories where he goes on these incredible adventures at sea. He also goes um, on a tour, so to speak, with an Arab with one of these Taye's. And the Arab is able to sort of interpret different signs in nature. He looks at tracks and he's able to, you know, determine that such and such is going to happen. Or he smelled some earth and, you know, that that means that something else. This is a person who is portrayed, or really sort of an ethnicity that's portrayed in Madrash as being very connected to nature, but more than simply connected to nature, that they are interpreters, which sort of creates a very interesting dynamic, right? We talked about this the first time. Merit in general, but also Chazal, the project. What it means to be you know, Chazal, it means that you're an interpreter. You're an interpreter of text. You're an interpreter of Tanakh. You're an interpreter of Mishnah. You're an interpreter of things that your Rebbeim said, said, right? things of earlier Morayim. Your goal, your life's work, is the work of interpretation. And in a different sort of sense, the way these Arabs are portrayed are also as a different kind of interpreter. Interpreter of size, interpreter of nature. And that, I think, is... Is sort of what's going on here. Now when you when you talk about an interpretation of nature, that sort of answers your question. <clears throat> that means that nature itself and the world itself kind of the mundane um, nature of the world when cows moo, when cows groan that is something to be interpreted according to this midrash or at least according to this sort of Arabic culture that's being referred it's to not, here. It's not something
0: that's like supposed to be interpreted by us.
1: Well, I don't know. It's, it's it seems like that the at le- cows very cows least the cows? Arab has the skill to be able to do it.
0: We, really if we think that that's important to like, use the cows to know if things are happening, or nature in general to know if things are happening, then why is that like, attributed? That's what the Arabs
1: do. It seems that's, a, in other words, one, you're correct. One way of reading it would be that this is what they interpret while we interpret something else. I think that's, exa- in a sense, that's exactly what's going on at the end, almost what's going on at the end of the story when there's a rejection of this knowledge. You write, why do I need this Arab? Though I think it's a bit more complex. Yes? I don't know. If, I mean, is titled,
2: why
0: is it how want to be But that I
1: think is related. In other words, basically the world becomes a text to interpret. And you you know, you might be correct that we're not supposed to do the interpreting, that's what the Arabs do, but nevertheless the world is a text very much like the Psukim and Yeshayahu at the end of the Medrash are a text. Right? We interpret the Psukim the rabbis, the Jews interpret the Psukim and say, ah, from the juxtaposition of va'lavanon Badir Yipol to migeshi yeah, yishai, that means that this idea. Okay. That's true. In other words, you're not supposed to interpret signs. That might be a form of um, what's called nihush, uh, correct? But that's the way the story we have it, and he trusts the 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 Arab. There's no sign of censure that he did something incorrect. At least I don't see it here by listening to um, the Arab. And the Arab was correct, which is a different issue. it was according to the Rambam, you, don't, you shouldn't go to these people who interpret signs because they're wrong. Right here, he's right. Yes.
0: like a bill style like you know, oh, that's that interesting him, no in the sense that like you kind of look stupid when an animal knows something that you don't and like you probably don't look much better when the animal expresses it and you still don't understand it and then a human understands the animal and you still don't understand it and then a human explains it
1: to you So you're saying it looks for bad for the Jew Yeah
0: like it looks bad for the Jew who's supposed to Yeah, I
1: don't know because again this is a, this is not like Billam where the donk is actually talking it's a very it seems to be simply a mundane sign of, of mooing, and the Arab has this special knowledge, this set special expertise, which allows him to interpret it. Just take one more, and then we will go on. I was just I'm like, very
0: interested to look at um, what Perak like what that says, like if there's something to the cow, and he says, because like, I know he's a dupe.
1: I don't know if there's a cow in I know like, like that type of animal. Yeah, and I mean, Perak is really based on a motif in Tehilim. Where you know not in ter- terms of interpreting the sign, but all the animals in the kingdom are you know taking part in in um, in praising Hashem. You have it all the time in think about halal, you know, with the uh, with the uh, rivers clapping and all of that. Nature is at the very least poetically saying something. Um, here it's sort of concretized that it, it really is saying something. It's saying that the Beit Hamikdash is destroyed. Okay. Sorry, can I get back to you? We'll just, we're going to move on a bit, and then hopefully we'll have time, and I'm sure, you know, there'll be issues with the next section. Okay, so he interprets the sign um, in two ways. We don't really have an indication of the difference, but we're not connoisseurs. I don't know, maybe there was grown type A and then grown type B, or simply was the repetition of the sign. I have no idea. Um, Then, again, we get to this question, He's sort of testing the Arab, I would think. In other words, what's his name, right? Do you really think you know what you're doing? And he gives a very direct answer. His name is Menachem. His father's name is Chizkiah. He gives him a very specific place, okay? So this is when we sort of shift into the next part of the story. And really this whole section, which I didn't give you to read, is sort of bizarre in the, conc- in, the in the concretization, really in the in, in placing in a very real historical context, Mashiach. Right, when we talk about Mashiach, we don't really know who he is. We, you know, we dream of him. Um, we dream of what he's going to do, but we, don't, we, we certainly don't talk about what his name is. It's a very interesting project that's happening here in the Medrash. Right? Previously as well, his name is Menachem, his name is Tzemach, but especially in this story, he gives him a very specific place. He doesn't say he lives in Never Never Land. He gives him the region, the province, the town, Right, the Beit Lechem, and we'll come to the Beit Lechem of it all in a minute. But he gives a very specific, you know, GPS marking as to where this uh, future savior, savior, if you'll pardon the word, because we'll get back to that, um, of B'nai Israel lives. He gets there. Right? He, so he, messianic fervor. The man sells all his stuff, and he goes, and um, it seems almost like a ploy. He becomes suddenly a you know a peddler of swaddling cloth right he doesn't i don't think his heart lay in swaddling cloth. he wants to find this baby he wants to get to this baby in the ushal in the ushalmi we're not sort of comparing Medrash in the Ushalmi now but in the ushalmi there's even a bit more suspense he 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 has to, it takes a while for him to figure out who the mother of the of the child is here it's sort of gapped he suddenly knows that it's the woman who's not purchasing um the cloth or at least we know who it is okay so the now he finally gets to the town. He's selling the, the cloth and the woman will not buy the cloth. Why doesn't she buy the cloth? This is sort of another shocker and maybe in need of uh, interpreting a gap. So what does she say? Yes.
0: seems like she thinks that his future is bad. So he might, he might as well
1: just die now. Right. Incredible. Incredible. And this is a mother here. This isn't simply someone watching the child. This is the mother of the child. And she is is not going to buy him kind of the necessary clothing to keep him warm, to keep him safe, because he thinks he has no future. Now, why does she think he has no future? Obviously, because he, she says because he was born on the day of the Big Dash. I want to telescope into what it meant to live. You know, this is obviously is a is a, still a baby, so it's an immediate aftermath of. Of the uh, destru- destruction of the Beit Hamikdash, we didn't have a lot of time from the beginning of the story until the middle of the story, but still a baby, and um, she doesn't want to protect the baby. And think about what that means psychologically. In other words, the 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 events of the Harbon are so all-encompassing that she's sort of given up hope, um, especially because the baby was born in the day that the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed. It, it's really it's shocking. It's difficult. Even more shocking um almost difficult to stomach but if you read it in the context of eicha it's sort of i'm not going to say it makes sense but it's part of that world in the ushalmi's version she says that she would like to strangle the child i know it's upsetting but it's in the ushalmi um and you do have i think it's softened but you have a similar thing here she's going to neglect the child and that's why she doesn't want to to buy the cloth so at that point and stop me if you disagree with my interpretation I think what sort of occurs is the man who went on a journey to find Mashiach then becomes the man who's trying to protect Mashiach, who's trying to keep, Mashi- keep Mashiach alive. Because he, especially when you add that line in from the Yushami, I don't have any money, so that's why I wasn't going to buy. But that, I think, is sort of an apologetic. She doesn't care about the Mashiach. Either way, he says, he goes out of his way, I'll give it to you, I'll come back later, I'll take the money then. Her, his goal is now to protect the Mashiach. Now that he found Mashiach, he sees that Mashiach is very precarious. It's this little baby who's not really protected, who doesn't have uh, the necessary clothing. So then he goes back. He doesn't go back to get the uh, money, right? I, don't th- I think he could care less. He, che- he basically checks in on the child, right? And here's where we come to sort of the next major point of the story. Yes.
0: If he really wanted to track the baby that
1: much, I don't think it would have gone away. Well, I think he sort of trusted the mother once he gave the um, the cloth. Okay, that's a good point. Well, what happened
0: he didn't just give her the cloth, he also like gave her a reason to think otherwise.
1: Okay, so let's talk about that now. What did he tell her? Wait, we spoke about this briefly. She 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 gives up hope and he says, Ah, don't worry, you know, we trust in, in God sort of God will take care of everything. You think that it's a bad sign. It's really not a bad sign. Somehow, you know, on his birthday, the Beis is destroyed, but perhaps through him, if that's how we're to interpret it, or on a date associated with him, he's, the Beis HaMakdash is going to be rebuilt. So he trusts that, he says, we trust, right? He, he's trying to include her. We trust in God, Rachitsin, and hopefully we will, um, you know, God will sort of take care of this. So I think when he when he goes away from the mother, he sort of trusts. He gave the cloth. He made his hishtadlut, and God will will take care of it. Especially because he has this idea. Okay, where does he have this idea from? The Arab, in a sense, right? And that's why Rabbi Aivu... I'm sorry, rejects. You know, why do we need this Arab? We have this from a pasuk. This knowledge that he has that the Mashiach is, um, you know, is born in the day of destruction, which gives him comfort, really comes from the Arab. Okay, so he leaves and he comes back, and what happens again? This great, you know, he hears this terrible news. It sort of makes you wonder, as you just said, Sharon. Like, would you really trust this mother? Suddenly, the baby's gone, and she has this story. But I think that it's, I don't think she's simply making up the story. I think something else is happening, right? I told you at this point the Aramaic becomes important. What does she say exactly? Atien ruchin v'alulin, tanune vazelin lehon. Okay. What does this remind you of? Before I even get to specific Aramaic parallels, who else in who? Perfect, right. Who else in Jewish history sort of leaves in a haste um, in a storm? Uh, to be more uh, uh, explicit is Eliyahu. Oh, actually, this is first of all, this is not the common word for storm in Aramaic, but it is the word that the Targum uses in Malachim. I really should have put this on, on the um, sheet for you. If you want to look it up on your own, you can. I'll read it. It's in Malachim Bet. Um, is this the right place? I think it's chaf bet. I'm sorry, no, it's in Malachim bet, parik bet. I apologize. Um, in the Hebrew, it's vayhi he maul right? Elisha walking with Eliyahu, haloch vidaber, vihine rechav esh, vesus esh, vih fordu ben And here's the line, vayal Eliyahu besa'arahashamayim. In the Aramaic, it is, um, Right, So the same word for storm is used there. I don't know if it's deliberate. I don't know if it's just a coincidence. I do think sort of the narrative that that's not a coincidence at all. This description of what happens to the child she doesn't simply say the child disappeared. I don't know where he is. I think there's a specific reference here, right, To what happens with Eliyahu? The child disappears. The child is brought up in a storm up to heaven. So, okay, you'd expect him to cry. What's his response? He repeats the same maxim that he had before. Not only does he repeat it, it's almost like, didn't I tell you? How is this an answer? She was worried... She says, "I knew bad things were going to happen to my child." Initially said, "Oh, don't worry. We trust in God. Somehow the Beit Hamikdash will be rebuilt through Him." Then, indeed, tragedy strikes. It's a sort of bizarre strategy, tragedy. The child disappears, and she says, "I told you so." And then he says, "I told you so." So, what's going on here? Anyone have a good interpretation? Yes. I
0: think should have, should
1: have him more. Hmm. That's very interesting. I did not I think, think of that. that. In other words, I told you, not I told you so, I told you that this was the guy who was going to save save us and you didn't hold on to him. I don't know. It sounds sort of like really a divine um, plucking of the child. I do not know what she could have done. It doesn't sound like children normally were sort of uh, thrown away in, in storms. If you want to talk about the... the the dangers of you know the times. She could have mentioned wild animal bandits. Who knows? Yes, Sharon, you had your hand up. Mm-hmm. Anyone else have? I, I don't really have a satisfactory understanding. Yeah. Sorry, how, well, actually, let me just go to one more person. I'm sorry. Sure. Yes. Um, I
2: don't know. I mean, I think she's just like like assumes that he died, but like you can like but he sees it as more
1: like the hand of God came specifically for this child, so there must be something special about him. Okay. In other words, this wasn't simply a kid who was going to like be a troublemaker growing up. When she says, I first saw you know bad things for this kid, maybe she thought he'd you know fallen with a bad crowd. And this isn't, yes, these are troubling and, and tragic uh, events, but obviously there's something special about the child. And maybe that specialness relates to, you know, the building of the Beit HaMikdash. Uh, it, b- before we try and attempt together to answer what's going on, especially that exchange, which really bothers me, just how to understand it, uh, we can also think of that moment um, in, in, in a reversal of what we had before. Again, I, I, I mentioned that we have a very specific sort of a GPS of where this child is, um, the Arab doesn't simply say oh he's some kid living in a town in Israel and then the guy has to go around and sell these uh, swaddling cloths to every little town it's very specific he gives the coordinates and he finds the mother he finds the child they're very real people this sort of Mashiach is a real historical phenomenon existence and then quite literally Mashiach is plucked from the scene, right disappears and is gone Right, the concrete, the concrete child, or the concrete name, so to speak, that Chazal were um, uh, busy with, that they were saying, his name is Menachem, his name is um, Etzemach, becomes much less concrete when a child is plucked from history, is plucked from the scene, um, literally. Yes, Sharon.
0: Mm-hmm. We were talking a little bit, actually, in Kavruta about, like, thinking his machine literally or not. So if you're taking this as a literal story and you've established that he is an Asim Mishriya and he's in Beit Latham, mm-hmm. we need to do something that can then get us to our situation now. And this sort of achieves that. Because, I mean, otherwise, like, by now he'd be dead.
1: Right. Correct. And also... And here's where I come to my point about thinking historically, not just about the events after the Beit Hamikdash, but when this Midrash is being, this story is being told in the medrash. He's dead by now as well, right? The medrash is told hundreds of years. The names of these Amoraim, um, which sort of frame the discussion, um, and who are responding to the discussion, live hundreds of years after the um, the Harbin. Obviously, if he's Mashiach, maybe he can do whatever he wants. But in sort of an irregular sort of way, he's dead now. So something happened. We had a very concrete Mashiach, and now he no longer exists. If that's even how you know these you know these people are taking it, I, I suspect that Rabbi Elfuin is really discounting a lot of what's going on in the story in general. Yes.
2: Oh. Well, it's I'm not sure that's clear that he's dead as
0: much as that he's not there.
1: Correct. And if you're Good.
0: trying to keep the hope alive,
1: mm-hmm.
0: though the fact that he's someplace. And not dead allows him to disappear. Good. Live here.
1: It doesn't simply say he got old and died. It says that he disappeared, very much like Eliyahu. And I think that's deliberate, okay. right? What, what what happens to Eliyahu after that scene in Tanakh? Well, nothing in Tanakh, but something in our tradition. He comes back all the time. He comes comes in for the seder. He comes in at Brissom. He's, he's one of the guys, he's very much part of, but he's very much part of the, you know, the contemporary Jewish experience while at the same time he's not physically around. Right? There's a lot of ambiguity there as to you know, what happens to the, uh, the fifth coast. Right? Does it simply get drunk or do you pour it into uh, your cups? Um, that's very important. We have a concrete Mashiach. He's taken away, but he's taken in a way that leaves something tantalizing. It leaves, I don't know, the possibility that there'll be a big storm and they'll plop this, you know, now no longer baby, really, really old man back in in the sea. There's a lot to discuss there. Um, and if we ha- would have had the time, it would have also read the next section, uh, which you can see if you if you wanted to look ahead, Um that almost plays games or not plays games, but does something very interesting. What's the name of Mashiach? So the people from Rabbi Shila's academy, his study circle said Sheila or Shiloh, I'm sorry, based on a Pasuk, but obviously hinting at the name of their teacher. Be Rabbi Chanina uses another, you know, a very similar word, Chanina with a hey, which is almost the same thing because of a Pasuk, but obviously alluding to their teacher. There is this dance to locate Mashiach in the here and now, um, at least in terms of possibilities, but at the same time, obviously recognizing that he may not be Mashiach or that something else is going on. <clears throat> Since we don't have that much time, you know, the other, b- before we get to solving or trying to solve some of the problems here, um, the obvious association, and this is not a class in comparative religion, but if you've ever. Um, lived in America, and you know anything about Jesus that you'll know that there are um, some sort of markers. Even if you don't, know, if you never read the New Testament, you'll know that Beit Lechem is sort of a um, red flag, to say the least. Um, now, there's a reason why it's a red flag. It's not simply a red flag because it's in the New Testament and that's you know named as the place where Jesus was born. That sort of comes from somewhere as well, right? You have a famous pasuk in Micha that identifies Beit Lechem um, as a special place for the end of days, which I think this story also might be working off of. I think in a way, there's not a classic power of religion. The myth of Jesus, I don't mean myth necessarily that he was a historical pers- person, I'm not taking a position on that, but the myth of Jesus is that he's born in Beit Lechem. this is a special place, Right, And they, Christians, interpreted Micha and this, Micha Parakei Pasuk Aleph in a very specific way. Our story as well is playing off of that Pasuk, I believe. That's the dance I was referring to before. Right, There's an emphasis on the youth of Beit Lechem Efrata, which the Mefarshim tried to understand you know, in what way was this a youthful area? But there's a youth. You can see how that could lead to our story with the baby, that there's a youth in Beit Lechem who will become the leader, obviously, in the Jesus myth. Um, and But at the same time, umot so tough, mi This is someone who sort of pre-exists, right? So the Christians went crazy with this. Not only did they go crazy with this, they go crazy with this medrash. This specific medrash that we learned was one of the problematic passages between uh, in the disputations between Jews and Christians. One of the famous disputations was held between which famous rabbi? Ramban, Ramban correct. And I gave you a selection of a sefer um, written by Abravanel right, after the events, um, which sort of rehashes and deals with some of the, the issues. I mean, this message was cited before um, Ramban because it's obviously, I would think, taking some kind of position in the story i'm not recommending that you read it but if you read you know the first chapter of luke there's some striking similarities and i think the medrash is talking to that is talking to um, the christian story and in a way has a response right in that story there are also swaddling clots are important i i could go on and on you know you know just take my word for it if you don't know the story there are a lot of similarities here and I don't think the Medrash is unaware at all. This is Eretz Yisrael. This is after Rome has accepted Christianity. Um, there are sort of pagan Christians running around. There are Jews who are also, you know, early Jews for Jesus. Jews who are also Christians at the time and created all, all kinds of problems, are referred in other sources as Minim. The Medrash I think is taking somewhat of a stance on the issue. At least this is my reading. Um, it's incorporating some of these, you know, elements of you know what Mashiach will be like, and the stance would be that he's been plucked from history. You can't point to somebody and say, that was, you know, Jesus. He came and he saved, and now the world is a different place. He was plucked in this story as a baby, again employing some of the same elements of the Christian story. But he was plucked from history and that event which occurred early on. Right, after, according to this story, after the Beit HaMikdash, is sort of doesn't really affect what's happened anymore. He's gone, that Mashiach is not a player anymore, and we have, you know, other things to hope for. Yes? Right, I think that
0: would be the case if he was killed, but comparing him to Eliyahu, it, makes it seem otherwise.
1: Well, according to this story, and I'm not saying this story since it was saying that Menachem is Jesus, right? I don't think it's doing that at all. But it is saying that someone, something happened to someone who was plucked from the scene. You're, you're, you're bothered by the fact that maybe it's giving Jesus I some think, kind I of...
0: this comparison to Eliyahu as someone who is still around. And we don't think exactly the idea that he comes back and visits and, you know, he never actually died.
1: But this child he doesn't died. really have the same afterlife, at least in this medrash as Eliyahu. He leaves and he's gone.
0: Well, we don't see those the story.
1: Correct. Okay, that's
0: what's fair. What's
1: the point of comparing him to I To say okay, correct. So let me get to my next point. What's happening with all of these naming of different people? Is what happens? So you say that his name was Menachem, you say that his name was Tzemach. then you say that he was Menachem, we lived in a specific place and now he's gone. What does that mean for Mashiach again? So his name was Menachem, the woman dropped the ball, if that's our interpretation of the story. She should have protected him more, perhaps, or he's God now. Now what? So what happens to Mashiach?
0: Possibility. Possibility.
1: Okay, but in other words the opportunity was lost. This was this was a special unique opportunity. Sort of it almost happened if maybe the mother had protected the child a little better, if she would have bought swaddling cloth initially, I don't know, she would have held on to him during the storm And then, but that didn't happen, and there will be another chance. There's a whole slew, actually, of of Midrashem that, interestingly enough, treat the figure of Chizkiyahu, Chizkiyah not Menachem ben Chizkiyah, but the traditions might be related. That Mashiach could have happened during the days of Chizkiyah had X Y Z not happened. And in fact, this is a motif that reoccurs throughout Medrash, and it's the it's the motif of the near miss. It's not only in terms of Mashiach, but you have constant near misses, really hearkening back to the beginning of time. Right, if only the Jews had not sinned at this moment, we never would have gone to the Midbar. This is an this is a much deeper and more problematic and troubling near miss because this near miss really speaks to what's going on at the very moment we're still in galut we're still in roman you know palestine as it was called then right where you don't have Yisrael or nowadays we're still we still have this diaspora We still don't have a beit Hamidash and you can trace it back to this near miss there are a lot of hands. this is sort of explosive material before we get to the hands i just want to quote a, a story from rabbi this story could have been plucked from any Hasidic Rebbe which makes it very interesting there's a whole genre of Hasidic tales about when Mashiach almost came, the Hasidim were dancing it was so intense and then something happened, here I left out what happened it's unclear what happened, you can ask what happened, but let me just read the story, let me try to relate one of the most memorable occasions of my childhood I must have been only four or five but I still remember everything with total clarity this is back in Europe by the way we were in Cheder and, pl- and hungry, I think, and playing in the yard. Suddenly I saw a great ball of fire come out of the sky. I guess I must have been gifted with an active imagination. I told my friends what I had seen and we decided that this was a sign that the Mashiach was coming. The whole Cheder became very excited. What do children do when they accept Mashi- expect Mashiach? We all ran together to the water tap in the yard and washed our hands in order to purify ourselves for the arrival of the Mashiach. I can still remember the rush and the crowd at the water tap. So this is him recalling events in his 60s that occurred um, as a young child. There was an old gnarled tree, tree even has a vision, an image, in the yard, and we get began to dance around it and sing. Really an incredible story, and it, this isn't a class in Review Hudamital's thought, but it certainly is related to how he views the Messianic era and you know the near misses as well. The story, in one sense, in the Midrash, I think talks very, you know, very to the point and from the heart about the near misses that occur in Jewish history, and even if it is some kind of folk tale that an Arab tells to a Jew and which will be rejected in one minute by Rabbi Avun, in a sense, the story is, you know, about that messianic expectation. Here's a man who sells his ox, he sells his stuff, he goes, he seeks, he tries to protect the child even, and... It doesn't happen when he says you know, Rachitzin. We hope that Hakadosh Baruch will take care of it, and he does, and the child is plucked. Evidently, the child was special. I'm not saying this is referring to Jesus at all. I'm just saying it's part of the same, you know, what's happening in Eretz Yisrael. And he's gone. There'll be another one. Mashiach will come eventually. Now, Rabbi Avun rejects the story. Right? He, in one sense, he rejects something very specific. He rejects. The lesson that the Arab teaches. The Arab, in the course of identifying Mashiach as Menachem, the Arab identi- ad- sort of identifies this idea the idea that Mashiach is born in the same day of destruction or immediately after destruction. Rabbi Avon says, We don't need the Arab, we have um, these Psookim to interpret. I think two things are going on. Most immediately, I already mentioned, the Arab is an interpreter of signs, and he has this motif in midrashic literature, as someone who's talented um, in, in this enterprise, close to nature and able to interpret the signs. What's happening with the Psukim and with Rabbi Avun is saying don't use that kind of interpretation, we have our own much realer, more important interpretation of Torah. But I think it's possible to read a further rejection of this story by Rabbi Avun, and I, I don't think the tension is resolved really of what happens with the story. Um, we're not going to get to talk about historicity in Medrash and whether you know we're supposed to take these stories as true or not. But Rabbi Avun, I think, rejects, and if he doesn't reject, I think the tension is still there. What is happening in the broader scre- scheme of this story, right? Not simply that he. Had, That he, we need the Arab to teach us this idea that the Mashiach is born on the day of destruction, but on this way of knowledge, not simply his interpretation of nature, but this sort of essentially folktale from Rabbi Avon's perspective, I would say. This is a story that's told, that has has certain things to say to the Christian context, perhaps, but it's not traditional rabbinic knowledge. It's not the way we're supposed to learn things. And I think that that's part of Rabbi Avon's critique at the end of the Medrash, hands, even though we're over time. Yes.
0: I don't necessarily see the near-miss. I mean, clearly, like, if you were living in the story, okay, near-miss, you're the guy in the story. Harm, but you're not the guy in the story. I mean, but
1: I think the narrative, by, local, sure. by identifying these specific details, well, brings well, well, us well, into the story.
0: Thank goodness that it worked out this way. Because this way, this Menachem baby, whoever he is, is not necessarily dead. If the, if the Midrash had played out without this weird wind, there would be no hope left. Because Mashiach was born in Bitlachem, and now he must be dead mm-hmm. by now. But thankfully, there was this weird wind thing. The baby got blown away, and now we can believe that he's held in abeyance somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think it's,
1: it's the happy ending. That's that's interesting. Okay. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that's why Ruby Avin would be rejecting it, perhaps. Yes.
0: Um, is Rabbi Avin suggesting that the, the story brings up questions that just aren't, or just or
2: issues that aren't material that the tube soup game kind of don't bring up because they're just two game
1: Be more specific. What do you mean? So I think most immediately, I don't know, that actually came up when Chava was translating it. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, why do I need to learn this from the Arab? He keeps it much more general. Why do I need to learn from Arabs? I don't think that's a racist comment. I think that that's a broader, this kind of knowledge, this kind of story. That's what I think is going on. Um, even though most immediately he is referring to the single idea that Mashiach is born, you know, on the heels of destruction. Yes.
0: I felt like kind of the opposite. I thought it sounded like why do I have to know from an area that Mashiach was born in this day like born in this state of the day did destruction happen? Because we have a post up that tells me that this is gonna be the case. So Correct.